0: All right, if you have your Bibles with you today, and I hope you do, I'd like you to open up to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 this morning. I've entitled the message, Living as Christ's Church. Uh, I heard an expression years ago, I don't know who originated it. There's a couple of you in this room that may, but um, I don't. I very seldom uh, remember who I heard something from or, or who to give uh, the, the credit to for something. But years ago, I heard this phrase, Jesus started the church the way he wanted it, and he wants the church the way he started it. And uh, that has stuck with me for probably the last 30 years. Jesus started the church the way he wanted it, and he wants the church the way he started it. We sometimes think the church needs to change with the times. But instead, the scripture keeps pointing us back to the beginning. How the church was founded, and what the church was taught from the beginning. And we're a church that believes that we should live our lives according to what the word of God says. Well, we have a little problem in our church. And it's a problem that is very common in churches throughout this nation. It's a problem that is a reflection of the culture in which we live. And I believe it's a problem that's gotten worse over the last two years. A problem of isolation and individualism. That both result in a lack of community. A lack of Christian fellowship. A lack of discipleship. A lack of body ministry. And this is not the way Jesus wants his people to live. He wants us to live in vital community. In ongoing fellowship with one another in ongoing body ministry. And so I just want us today to look at what Jesus intended for his people as we look back in time to the founding of the church, the church in Jerusalem. And as we read the description that Luke records for us in Acts chapter 2 of what the church was like in the beginning. Over the last three Sundays, we looked at eyewitness accounts of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and his ascension back into heaven from where he reigns over all things, including his church. He is the head of his church. Amen? Not only did Jesus die to pay the penalty for our sins, but he also sent the Holy Spirit to empower His followers, to be His witnesses, to disciple others, and to minister one to another. As we read last Sunday, before ascending into heaven, Jesus instructed His disciples to remain in Jerusalem and await the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Ten days later, on the day of Pentecost, God poured out the Holy Spirit upon the 120 followers of Christ who were prayerfully waiting in that upper room. Luke writes about this in Luke chapter 2. And then he includes the sermon that was preached that day by Peter that resulted in 3,000 being saved and added to the church. 3,000 responding to one sermon because of the power of the Holy Spirit working. Luke then gives us an account of what the church in Jerusalem was like during that early time of the founding of the church. And I believe this description serves as a model for all Christian churches, including our own. What we see here in this brief description we will see that the members of the early church were devoted devoted to their spiritual duties which led them to develop spiritual attitudes and behaviors which then resulted in a spiritual impact in their community and this is exactly What I believe we should desire to see at CFF. And it can happen if we follow their example. So I'd like you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of our text, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 2. This is the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity for us to read your word. Open our hearts to receive from you now, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There's an example here for us. There's a recording of what the early church was like. And I believe that this is exactly what we should desire to see happen here at Christian Family Fellowship. And can happen if we follow the example. And it begins with those in the church being devoted to their spiritual duties. Look at verse 42 again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. The expression there, they devoted themselves, has the idea of persistence or persevering. It is an ongoing devotion. In the NASB, it's translated continually devoting themselves. These four ongoing activities are the duty of all who are committed to being followers of Christ. And it starts with devoted to the apostles' teaching, instruction from the word of God. It is the paramount duty of every believer. We are commanded to study and we are commanded to instruct others. This is repeated over and over again by Jesus and by the apostles. Remember that Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, included teaching in the Great Commission given to his followers. Remember Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So, teaching is an integral part of what we are called to do as followers of Christ we are not simply to be converted we are to become intentional learners or disciples and we are to be devoted to the teaching of the apostles devoted to learning the word of God this is foundational to our spiritual health this is foundational for our church the apostle Peter later wrote these words, 1 Peter 2.2, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk of the word, that by it you may grow up to salvation. Peter recognized that it's the word of God that is the spiritual milk that will cause us to be nourished spiritually and to grow spiritually spiritually. And of course the goal is to grow into maturity, to a spiritual maturity where we will begin to then reproduce ourselves in others. Paul would later write to Timothy of his need to be nourished by the words of the faith and of sound doctrine and then tell Timothy to teach these things. Later in his second letter to Timothy, he writes these words in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We actually see four generations there in that admonition. We see Paul teaching Timothy who is to teach faithful men who will teach others also. This is how the faith is passed on, through the faithful teaching, through the faithful discipleship that happens within the church. We have the same mandate today. We are to learn and we are to teach. Luke tells us that those who made up the church in Jerusalem were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to learning and being equipped from the Word of God. He also tells us that they were devoted to fellowship with other believers. As you all know, this word fellowship in the Greek, koinonia, it literally means to share in common, to share in common with others. Believers are called into the fellowship of God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord which means that we share a common identity, a common relationship with Jesus Christ. In his first letter, the Apostle John writes these words, So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship here speaks of sharing a common relationship In Christ with all other believers in Christ and that sharing should result in caring for and ministering to one another fellowship is the spiritual duty of all believers we are called to be connected to each other in the family of God in the church and for Christians to fail to participate in the life of the local church is the opposite of fellowship. This is why we're commanded by God in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. The writer of the Hebrews writes, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer to the Hebrews was addressing a problem in the church. That problem was some people were not coming together in fellowship. With one another. They were forsaking the assembling together of the believers. It's vital because we're each a member of Christ, so we're each a member of one another. As Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians, we are one body in Christ, each of us being members of that body. And so we need to come together. For fellowship, we need to come together for worship. We need to come together to learn together. I mean, if I got to be honest with you, I would want to see every single member of our church come to every single event of our church. Now, I realize that's a pipe dream. I realize that that's probably never going to happen, that all of us are assembled together. On any given date and time. But that's what I would desire. That's what I would desire to see over and over and over again. Because each one of you are vital. Or you would not be a part of this fellowship. God brought you here. So that you could be a vital, active participant. In what God is doing in the midst of us. Scripture does not envision the Christian life as being lived apart from other believers in the local church. Instead, to be vitally connected with other believers in the local church. and This is why they were continually devoting themselves to the fellowship of the saints. Note, they were also devoted to the breaking of bread which is the celebration of communion or the Lord's Supper. Part of their fellowship was the duty of observing communion together as a church family. This duty is not optional since our Lord commanded it for all believers, and it is to be done when we gather together with other believers. It's not something we do on our own. It's something we do as a church. And again, as your pastor I would love to see all of us together on Communion Sunday, sharing the bread and the cup. Because in Communion, all believers meet on a common ground. We all meet as sinners saved from the penalty of our sin through the broken body of Christ and the shed blood of Christ, which, of course, is what the Lord's Supper represents for us. The price that was paid by our Lord for the forgiveness of our sins. The penalty that he took in our place. And this is something that we do together as a church. Communion exemplifies the unity of believers since we all partake together. Paul writes, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Through the breaking of bread together, we're spiritually nourished by Christ, and we are reminded that we are in fact all united in Christ. We are made one in Christ. Isn't that a beautiful thing? No matter our background, no matter the color of our skin, No matter our gender, which is male and female, by the way. Only two in Scripture. No matter our age. No matter our social economic status. We're all one in Christ. Amen? That is a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Because it's not I, it's Christ in me. Amen? So the early church were devoted to the Word of God, devoted to fellowship, devoted to the breaking of bread, and they were also continuously devoted to prayer. Before his death upon the cross, Jesus instructed his disciples by saying, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that my Father may be glorified. They took this to heart. As we saw in Acts 1.14, where they gathered in that upper room praying. Luke writes, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. The devotion to prayer in our text is a devotion to corporate prayer, to congregational prayer, not private prayer. This is a devotion to praying with our church family, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's an integral part of our worship, and we provide opportunities to gather together in prayer. And again, my prayer is that when you are in fellowship, whether it's a home fellowship group, or whether it's a men's study or a women's study, or whether it's just getting together to have lunch, that you would also spend time in prayer together. There's something that happens when we pray with other believers, isn't there? Something wonderful that happens. We're encouraged. And we encourage them as well. Sadly, there are times when prayer is neglected in many churches today. But it was not that way in the beginning. The early church understood the great privilege that they had to come before the throne of God through prayer. They saw the results in their lives and in their church God answers prayer. Amen? Amen. Believers are encouraged in prayer. Corporate prayer is commanded because it is so vitally important. Through prayer, we're continually reminded of who we are and who God is. We connect with our Heavenly Father through our prayers. So the church in Jerusalem was devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread... And to prayer. And we need likewise to be devoted to these things. This led to them developing spiritual attitudes and behaviors that set them apart from everyone else as followers of Christ. And Luke mentions some of these things. He mentions that awe came upon every soul in verse forty. Three, All who believed were together and had, oh, excuse me, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Awe, the word here means a fear or a sense of reverence. The effect of the members of this church being devoted to their spiritual duties was that those who observed them were filled with awe, knowing that God was at work In them and through them. I pray that when individuals come to visit our church, there's a sense of awe at being in the presence of God's people as we worship God. In fact, you know, I'm so blessed by the worship here because we're not a church that tries to entertain We're a church that tries to draw our members into worshiping God. Amen? I I just thank Pastor Don for that and, and Wendy and the rest of the worship team for leading us in the worship of God, making that the focus. We are blessed. And there should be a sense of awe in others as they see a church following Christ and living as Christ's church. Others should look at that and say, there's something there. God is working in their midst. We want to see that. Amen. The other thing that we saw in the early church was attesting miracles, signs, and wonders. These miracles were designed to attract attention and to result in attesting to the fact that God was at work in these men, in the apostles. We know that the ability to perform miracles was not given to all but limited to the apostles and those associated with them. This validated them as those chosen by God to speak and write his word to his people. The author of the Hebrews makes this very clear in Hebrews 2 verses 3 and 4. He writes this, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed by those who heard, God bearing witness with them by both signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. So God confirmed the preaching of the apostles with miracles to show that they were indeed His chosen messengers. Now we know that with the passing of the apostles and the completion of the canon of Scripture, the need for such confirming miracles ended. Today, we can confirm who speaks for God by comparing their teaching with God's revelation in Scripture. But remember, remember this. Although the gift of miracles is no longer existent, God is still performing miracles, amen, in response to the prayers of His people. We're commanded to pray. Lay hands on the sick and pray for them. And the greatest miracle that we see over and over again is the miracle of conversion, amen? God causes us to be born again. God causes us literally to be recreated in Christ. This is a miracle of God's grace. And evidence of his steadfast love. Amen? And as we see individuals coming to know Christ. As we see individuals being baptized. As we see individuals being discipled. Those things validate the message that we've been given To preach because we see God working in His church. The other thing we see here in this text is that the church cared for one another, there was a spiritual attitude that looked out for the needs of others. Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They cared for each other. True Christian fellowship, koinonia, includes sharing with others who have needs. It includes generosity. Those who share in Christ share in God's nature which includes generosity. And they are therefore generous to others. Has God been gracious to you? Does He call us to be gracious to others? Absolutely. He pours His love into our hearts so that we can pour that love into others. Those who are truly saved, are given this desire to help others. And in the early church, they cared for one another, even to the point of selling land and possessions to help others in need. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Our caring for the needs of others should include financial needs, but it should also include spiritual needs, and physical needs. That is one of the reasons why we have distributed to our church the spiritual interest survey. Remember that? How many of you have received this and filled it out? Let me see your hands. Praise God. More hands not raised than raised, right? So you ask yourself, what is this, pastor? What's the purpose of this? Well, the purpose of this is to give you an opportunity to be involved in helping meet the needs of others in the church. Are we called to do that? Amen. And so this allows us to know what your particular gifts, talents, abilities, or interests are so that we can know how to let the needs be known and put people in touch with others who can help meet those needs. You might say, Pastor, that's a little radical. I'm not sure I want to be involved in that. Well, don't talk to me about it. Talk to him about it. Because he says that's what we should be doing. Caring for one another. Reaching out to meet one another's needs. We need to be doing that if we're going to truly be a New Testament church. The early Christians shared of their possessions, not because they were forced to do so, but for a far better reason, because they loved others and wanted to share with them out of the blessings that God had shared with them. They were generous to others because God had been so generous to them. Their love compelled them, To know the needs of others and then to meet those needs. There are needs in our little fellowship. Do you know those needs? What are you doing to know those needs? How are you reaching out to others to find out what those needs are? This is something I believe we could be doing better. I truly do. They cared for each other. And they also gathered together regularly. Look at verses 46 and 47 again. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. They gathered together regularly. Now we already talked about Gathering together in corporate worship. And we saw the writer of the Hebrews telling us that we need to do that. In this we see they gathered together both for their formal worship services, but also from house to house. When Luke writes, attending the temple together, that represents their formal gathered worship services. The only place where all the members of the Jerusalem church could meet together was on the temple mount probably in one of the areas of the courtyard outside of the, surrounding the temple. There they would practice their spiritual duties together. Listening to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. This would be the equivalent of what we're doing right now in this morning worship service. But this was not the only time that they met together. They also met regularly, according to Luke, day by day. Now, that doesn't mean literally every single day, but it's talking about on a regular basis. They met together for fellowship, most likely in their homes. These would be informal gatherings that still centered around fellowship, body ministry, and worship. These informal gatherings were vitally important to the health and growth of the early church. In fact, I would say absolutely vital. Because that's where the one another's of scriptures were taking place. Not so much in the Sunday morning worship service, but in the small groups that met. And in homes where they met. For fellowship where they could get to know one another and get to know what how they could encourage one another I don't know about you but I need regular encouragement I do even spiritually I need regular encouragement if you don't well praise God I'd like to talk to you later and find out how that works we are called to encourage one another because God knows we need it. And it was in these informal home gatherings that discipleship took place. Body ministry would occur. And this opportunity to encourage one another to love and good deeds. That is what so many in the church today are missing out on, in my humble opinion. Oh, I want to say... We're very grateful and thankful for all of you that attend on Sunday morning, Uh, grateful for all of you that come early for Sunday school at 9 o'clock, and for the fellowship time between Sunday school and church. But we want to encourage you to not make that your only time of gathering with the church. We want to encourage you to be involved in small groups. To be involved in the men's and women's ministries. To be involved in visitation. Visiting other believers in their homes. Visiting them, in some cases, in the hospital. Or in the care homes. Getting to know them. Reaching out to them. Spending time with other believers practicing spiritual disciplines together. This practice made all the difference in the growth and development of the church in Jerusalem. These practices of the church resulted in a spiritual impact in their community. Look at how Luke closes this passage. Verse 47, Praising God, having favor with all the people, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There was an impact in the community. By observing the practice of the spiritual duties, by observing their care for one another and their spiritual attitudes and behaviors, those outside of the church showed favor upon them. And as a result of their effective Christian witness, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Now, make no mistake, salvation is from the Lord. Amen. No one can be saved except that God saves them. God works through his spirit, but he also works through his word, through the gospel, and he works through his people. We are called to be witnesses, both in word and in deed. We are the representatives of Christ on this planet. We are the members of His kingdom. Amen? He is our king. We are His ambassadors. And we are called to live our lives in such a way that we look different. Than everyone else. You might say we want to draw attention, not necessarily to ourselves, but to Christ who is in us. And then when we share Christ with others, both through proclaiming the gospel and through showing in our lives and in our church the transforming power that He brings to us, God can use that to bring others to Christ. Luke wants to leave no doubt that there is a direct connection between the community life within the church and the impact on the community outside of the church. In order to see people come to Christ, we need to offer them what is lacking in the world. They need Christ. They also need His church. That's the way he intended it. There are no lone ranger Christians in God's plan. We are to be vitally connected to one another. Yet so much in our culture today drives people to an individualism that undercuts the development of true community. We're driven to separation and isolation from others. We're encouraged to have things our way and to look for the things that will validate us rather than looking for the needs of others and making that our focus. In our culture today, our individual needs and our rats come before any needs of the group. That description is exactly the opposite. Of what we see in the early church. We see that in the New Testament church, community was the focus, and the welfare of the members of the church was a priority. And this attitude attracted the attention of those outside of the church and drew them in. When the church taught and practiced, That God cared about people and they demonstrated that care in visible ways. They were demonstrating Christ's love. And those outside of the church need to hear about his love and I believe they need to see it demonstrated as well. This should be our desire. That through the practice of New Testament Christianity including our spiritual duties within the church, we would make an impact in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And together, we'd make an impact in this community as they see Christ in us, as they see Christ in the manner in which we live our lives as a community of believers, as the family of God. Let me ask you this. Do you truly think of the others in the church as your brothers and sisters in Christ? I pray that you do. Because that is a reality we need to wrap our heads around. And then we need to wrap our arms around it. Okay? We're called to be a part of the family of God. And if we are going to see others come to know Christ, it's because they see the love of Christ in us and being practiced in the family of God. Amen? Amen. And I believe that as we do, God will bless our efforts by adding to our church those who are being saved. And of course, ultimately, That's our desire, isn't it? That God would be glorified in our lives and he would be glorified in seeing many others come to know Christ as a result as well. There's work to be done. Amen? And we have his spirit. We have his word. And we have one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who can encourage us and help us to fulfill our role as members of of this family of god let's pray heavenly father thank